The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. Hello, and welcome to the Holding Short Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Matheson. Today, we are joined by Tim Perry. WestJet pilot Tim Perry is the Airline Pilots Association International's, better known as ALPA, Canada president. He was first elected on October 17, 2018, at the Association's Biennial Board of Directors meeting, taking office on January 1, 2019. At the time of recording, he is serving his third term. The ALPA Canada president is the principal officer of the ALPA Canada Board, chairs all meetings, and serves as the board's spokesperson. Captain Perry is responsible for planning, coordinating, and administering the affairs and activities of ALPA Canada, and he consults with and is assisted by the other Canada board officers in furthering the objectives and policies of the association. Captain Perry previously served the WestJet Pilot Group as its Master Executive Council Vice Chair and was instrumental in the organizing campaign that ultimately led the pilot group to certify ALPA as its labor union. Prior to WestJet, he flew for Calm Air where he served as a local executive council first officer representative. A graduate of Selkirk College with a diploma in aviation technology, he lives in Toronto. I truly could not be more excited to have him join me today. Welcome, Tim. I'm glad to be here. Uh, this is fun and uh, it's it's nice to talk about um, you know aviation and flying with, with uh, people who care about it. Yeah, no, I'm really glad that we've had the opportunity to have someone from the union side. We so often talk about what it is like to fly the line or be in roles that are often underrepresented in aviation. So I'm glad to hear uh, that we have the uh, the time to talk about sort of the unions and the deep, deep history that they have within aviation. Mm-hmm. We'll jump right on in. How did you get your start in aviation? Um, you know, it's it's hard to know when to go back to for me. Um, yeah, I, I was interested in, in aviation from, you know, sort of really my earliest memories. Um, and so we had some family friends, I think, that would, um, a couple in particular that would, that I really credit for um, steering me towards a career in aviation, an Air Canada pilot in particular named Jim Wood, um, who's, re- who's retired, he's from Winnipeg. Um, when I was 15, he, uh, back when you could take um, enthusiastic kids in, in the jump seat, he took me on a three-day pairing in his uh in the 320 and we went from winnipeg to calgary to vancouver to la and vancouver calgary bounced around a couple of nights in hotels and um i mean at that point I, there was absolutely no looking back um i, I wanted to you know do something I, I wanted to fly airplanes um at that point but even earlier on uh I lived in the Arctic as a as a kid at ten years old. My my mother um, took a job in Rankin Inlet, and uh, we flew up there. And aviation plays a prominent role in the community, and um, that really drew me to it as well. Um, those times, so you know, those are two formative sort of experiences. One is living in the Arctic, where aviation is so important, and, and one was that um, that time with our family friend Jim. I say I'm amazed at any time someone has a story that involves getting to go in the jump seat. I'm 
slightly too young to have had that opportunity, but I'm always so envious when I hear other people that got to do it for a single leg, but to have had a three-day pairing internationally that you got to join on as a teenager. I mean, exactly as you said, there's no looking back after that. You have to do this. It would just be mm -hmm. so enthralling. Yeah, and th those those memories are uh, they're they're still vivid for me. They they uh, and it was uh, you know you can be interested in something and then and then at the peak behind the curtain it, uh, it you know it really did um, uh, entice me to you know to get real about it. You mentioned as well uh, having lived in northern Canada. Um, aviation is so prevalent it truly is such a lifeline do you ever think that that will change or will aviation continue to be the main source of sort of transportation in the canadian north yeah it's a great question um i think that uh you know forever is a long time but uh it's so the, the communities are so remote and alternatives are uh, so incredibly costly uh they're you know there's there's big changes in the in the uh, remotely piloted um, uh, aircraft systems and and um, you know there are alternatives on the technological horizon which maybe could sort of challenge the status quo but I I really don't see in the next in the foreseeable future and I'm talking decades and and, and perhaps many decades where where aviation isn't um, isn't the central uh, um, mechanism for transportation and supply. Now, thinking back to sort of the early stages of your career, you decided you were going to go into aviation and ultimately you found yourself in um, an aviation program. What was maybe the most surprising thing to you? What had you not anticipated about starting within the industry? Um, the uh, that's, that's a good question too. I think like when um you know you go to college and and i think the the there was a lot of work that i didn't really uh i'll, I'll be honest like didn't associate with um the the parts of the you know the training or the the path that i that i saw myself on or wanted to um you know be on there's the, all sorts of sort of background work it is work you know um you know the flight training is great um, but the, and even if you're interested in everything else, the, the subjects, I mean, sometimes it just feels like it, um, it, it there are hurdles and, and sometimes it's even hard to understand why they're there. Uh, but, you know, all the work, um, I think, and the, uh, the different subjects, um, you know, I think I didn't really, I didn't really know all of the aspects of becoming a professional pilot you know i envisioned flight training but uh, you know in a college and uh and and, the, and that path um, you know was challenging and um you know staying focused at etc was um i think hard at times um what else was did i not expect um well, I think it's also hard to anticipate how cyclical the industry is. I mean, so there's times when uh, when the aviation industry looks pretty good, and there's times when it really doesn't. It, it really looks uh, 
um, insurmountable or impenetrable you, you know, to get to become involved or, and, and to build a career. And, uh, you know, I uh, was in college when 9-11 happened. Uh, I mean, that, um, so those types of downturns were pretty hard to anticipate and they did pose major challenges that uh, you think, um, and maybe it's even fair to think that when you um, get, when you pursue something and you do a good job and you're trained and, and you're ready to go, that, that, that will lead somewhere and it doesn't always. Um, so I think that was another challenge. Now, you've mentioned sort of the, the cyclical nature of aviation, be it, uh, of course, the tragic events of 9-11, the 2008 global recession, or more recently COVID, and how the demand for pilots has changed drastically even in the last five or three years, let alone at each of those sort of different times. How did you stay motivated to continue pursuing aviation during a time when the industry seemed so unsure and hard to predict? Mm -hmm. uh, I think... Um... I, it was hard. It, it, it was hard when you didn't um, necessarily, there was a time for me when I didn't know not only, not just when I would get a job or where I would get a job, but it really was a question if I would get a job. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been through, I've been laid off. You know, those are, um, that's a challenge. Uh, and, and such a significant number of pilots in Canada have faced that. Um, you know, recently the, in the biggest numbers in, in recent history, um, but, you know, all along the way, um, you know, pilots have had to ride, ride the upturn and downturn um, nature of the industry. So um, staying motivated to like, uh, you know, partly um, it was just sort of a commitment that I had made to myself earlier on and it's just sort of staying true to that. Um, but I can't say that I didn't, um, you know, have doubts at times about whether the, it was gonna work out. Um, and, um, you know, my belief in retrospect is that um, the downturns in the moment feel, um, you know, endless and it's very, very hard to, uh, predict what the upturn is going to look like and when it may when it may come but you know if if we are students of history and I am uh, or I'd like to think I am you know we can have confidence that the upturns follow the downturns and, and sticking with something is is always worthwhile. I know it was a, a question I had for myself uh, finishing flight training over the course of the pandemic of okay I've finished my commercial license do I continue on or the idea of, I guess, that sunk cost fallacy of I've made it this far, so I should keep going versus I've made it this far, but I'm not fully committed, so to speak, just yet. Should I sort of pivot to some other um, interest or passion of mine? But it was very much staying in touch with other people within aviation, even though it, it sucked for basically everyone um, that reminded me that, no, no, this is really what I want to do. So sort of rolling the dice on finishing flight training in the moment, it felt like taking a big gamble um mm -hmm. but here we are on the other side of it and it seems yeah no i, I think i made the right decision time will yeah. yeah no i find that i get that that's completely relatable i mean i um I, the uh you finished flight training and um you know arguably a situation considerably worse than 9 11 in in some respects anyway and um so and 
and I finished at that at that time. So I, yeah, I definitely find that relatable. But yeah, it, it, I also drew the same conclusion. It, it, it's worth it. It was worth it. Yeah. One of the things that I had uh, suggested to me recently was that instead of asking pilots about some of the most sort of grand flying that they've done, to ask about their first solo. So what was it like to have your first solo? Um, first solo, uh, it's the day nobody forgets. Uh, it was um, very, it was a cold winter day uh, at St. Andrews Airport in Winnipeg, uh, or just outside of Winnipeg. Um, I I think what um, I didn't quite know that that it was coming. I, I mean, I think different instructors have different styles, and and um, you know, I didn't know I was going solo until um, until my instructor, you know, asked to uh, you know asked me to taxi back to the to the apron, and and so she could get out, and um, and so. Um, I didn't have a lot of time to anticipate that. I mean, I, I think, you know, everyone knows that it is a step along the way and I was, you know, starting to think about it, um, in sort of broad terms, but not, um, yeah, I didn't know that was coming that day. Um, I forgot to pull the car heat on the downwind and, um, and as part, and then I, uh, and then and landed and taxied in and um, confessed it immediately to Tara, my flight instructor, and she kind of just smiled and it, it was such a it was a great time and I remember even that that little mistake and having to realize that you know mistakes are part of flying and uh, learning from them is part of flying and um, and and I just I rushed through that downwind checklist so fast I uh, skipped right over it. Um, yeah, it, it, it was memorable and and definitely a wonderful memory. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, everyone's first solo story is is essentially the same. Either you knew it was coming or you didn't, but it's something that as pilots we will all go through or inherently have gone through. You will never forget it. And there is something I think just more fun. You get you get more smiles. People seem to be more fond of recounting their experience of a first solo as opposed to another time in their career. It's it's sort of the yeah the first time you were told she's yours, have fun yeah. um, and come back and be back in one piece. So it's, uh, I, I don't know, I always like that advice of ask about first solos, don't ask about the other big things that they've done in their careers. Yeah, it's a great question, yeah. Now you mentioned that yeah, you, you had begun aviation in a time that was uncertain for the industry and that it was not a guarantee that you were going to have a flying job when you were eventually ready for one. So what was it like to actually get that first flying job and know that your, your gamble, if we can call it that, had paid off? Yeah uh it was uh you know a moment of yeah I was, I was hugely excited um yeah i had been i had graduated with some um uh debt and um but also you know still really you know clear visions of what i wanted to do i would have taken a flying job absolutely anywhere i mean and i mean anywhere um there was uh, I sent resumes across the country, um, visited a different, a number of different sort of operations. Um, and I was actually in, in Colorado with my brother visiting family, uh, skiing when I found out and, um, and the way that the job came along was kind of on short notice. So I was, uh, 
sort of asked to come in on Monday morning and it was Saturday. And um, so we drove nonstop from, I, you know, <laughs> cut our, our little trip a touch short, which my brother still reminds me of. And um, then drove straight home from Colorado to Winnipeg. And then um, I came there on Monday morning. It was funny, actually. Um, he asked if I could come Monday morning and, and I, I could, it did take me driving across the continent, uh, basically straight. Uh, and uh, I got there on Monday morning and like the operation was going full tilt and I showed up and, and was like, Hey, I'm Tim. I'm here for my first job. I was at Kuwait and air. And um, nobody had anything for me to do. Like, no, it, like I could have showed up any day that week uh, and it probably would have been all the same. Uh, but yeah, it was a great, great experience, super exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll never forget it. It was a great job and uh, I enjoyed it. The uh, You also never forget the person who hired you. That was Wayne McLeod, the late Wayne McLeod. He passed away recently. Uh, a, a real, a real giant of the, of the Manitoba aviation scene and a contributor to EIC later on uh, and and became the president of the company as the chief pilot at the time. And so, um, yeah, I was so excited to get the job. And, and also those are, you know, relationships that, uh, that uh, you keep with you. Like in any good sibling, I have no doubt that your brother would remind you even to this day that you didn't just have to drive across the continent, but you also didn't necessarily need to be there Monday morning. So all that driving was uh, not, not a waste of time, but a big sort of a sibling inconvenience, if you can say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 It, whenever it comes up, uh, he, he, he reminds me. Yeah. How do you think the search for the first flying job now compares to when you started looking for flying jobs? Um, well, there's a lot more vacancies uh, at the moment. Um, you know, we, uh, in my, in my union capacity, we're uh, noticing, um, you know, a, a huge, uh, change in demand. Uh, so, you know, the, the supply demand curve is tightening. That means that opportunities are, are more numerous. Um, and the, uh, and there's a lot more choice. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the job that I ended up at with at Kuwait and Air, that it was the only offer that came, you know, I, uh, I don't know when the next one would have come. It took a long time for that one to come, nearly, uh, well, nine or 10 months in, after graduating, which felt like an eternity when I was um, folding jeans at the gap. And um, yeah. the uh, so, yeah, it's really, really changed. Um, and that's a great thing. You know, it, we talked earlier about uh, the cyclical nature of the industry and it's um, it can strain the either extreme uh, of the of the sort of the pendulum going back and forth, so to speak, can really challenge the industry and challenge the participants and contributors to it. Um, but um, yeah, it, there's a there's real positives for um, for how for, for how the industry responds uh, and is responding um, to attract and retain retain qualified pilots. Um, you know, you never want to see the extremes because, you know, we want these operations to be successful across the country. A lot of communities rely upon them. A lot of the, uh, you know, airlines can be you know, real pillars of communities and, and we want them to be 
um, you know, healthy employers. And um, so the extremes are tough, but um, yeah, there's still good things when, when airlines are uh, working hard to get the best employees. Now you touched on the idea of uh, attracting pilots and then retaining them. What do you think is the best thing companies can do to really focus on those two ideas? Um, yeah, those, that's a uh, good question. We, I think that, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that go into making a good pilot job. Um, you know, being properly compensated is an obvious one and it, and people often mention at first, you know, people want to have uh, a job that pays well, that, that's that's no secret, but um, I think that there are uh, other elements that are equally important, if not more important. I mean, I, I would want to work somewhere with a positive safety culture, uh, where um, where management listens to pilots uh, about uh, what they're hearing and seeing and, and and noticing on the flight line and. Uh, you know, open to the uh, the concept, the the fundamental truth, actually, that safety is something that you always have to evolve, that you're never done evolving safety. So an attitude like that is uh, makes a really uh, uh, strong work environment, positive work environment. Um, and I think that, um, you know, career progression, I mean, I think is, is something too. People have... Uh, they want their career to to move forward and that's a that's a very normal thing to to want people have different goals uh in their careers but um so you know a job that recognizes that uh recognizes the value of their employees growing um you know over their tenure there and and embracing that and allowing it to happen uh so those are three three things that when it when an airline or an employer does that, it, it really, um, you know, I, I think that goes a long way to attract and retain pilots. You had sort of made uh, reference to your work with the union, which is the Airline Pilots Association. What is Alpha and how did you become involved with them? So the Airline Pilots Association is a, is a trade union that represents pilots uh, and it's a uh, international union based in Washington. Alpha Canada is a division of of Alpha International, and that's uh, and I hold the office of president um, of Alpha Canada. Uh, the organization is sort of equal parts a trade union that um, negotiates and enforces collective agreements that uh, really govern the terms that pilots work for their employers. And then the other half of the organization is a safety organization. So we look at all things aviation safety related. Uh, and and advocate for them with uh, basically all any and all stakeholders. So the government, uh, employers, um, sometimes the public, anyone who has an interest in in aviation safety, um, we are willing to work with in order to advance aviation safety in Canada and around the world. Um, I got involved in Alpha about when I was around twenty five. I was a pilot at Calm Air. Um, and we were doing some, um, I was doing some work with pilot assistance. So I got involved in the pilot assistance, uh, committee and that sort of falls under our air safety organization. Um, I got involved that way and kind of one thing led to another, I got involved in other aspects of the organization, but it started with pilot assistance, which is basically, uh, peer support pilots looking after pilots. 
Now, this is an organization that has been around since 1931. How has the original spirit and intention of ALPA being scheduled with safety sort of carried on through to this day? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a great question. We have a, uh, our history really does live on with us. It, you know, schedule with safety um, kind of is a, is a statement that um, has many layers to it. Um, and we, uh, so, I mean, pilot schedules are, um, you know, they're, they're fundamental to a pilot's life. Um, but we also, uh, you know, we all ske uh, scheduling rules and, and fatigue rules um, continue to be things that we have to advocate for and evolve as science evolves. Um, so in 1931, we were, uh, we wanted to make sure that, you know, pilots had enough rest to fly the airmail. And, uh, and now we want uh, very much the same thing, you know, in the, the, the issues have evolved a little bit, but foundationally and fundamentally, it's the same. Um, making sure that a pilot, when they come to work, is as safe as could possibly be. I know in the uh, the ALPA history sort of a reference book written by George Eva Hopkins called Flying the Line, it notes that ALPA's primary function has always been to make sure pilots receive a decent wage, but corollary to this pursuit to make sure that they live long enough to actually enjoy it and spend that wage. How does that idea maybe move forward to, uh, I guess, advocacy that ALPA is doing for contemporary pilots? Yeah, so I, I, that is... Uh, the way Alpha is structured now, as I was mentioning earlier, we, we you know we we negotiate and bargain collective agreements, but we also um, have one eye on the on the road of safety, and so um, we we know that uh, and and so basically the core makeup of our organization is a reflection of what you just said. Um, we want to make sure that uh, and and it wasn't always sort of understood that way, um, but really now structurally and organizationally, that is how we understand our own roles as, uh, as ALPA volunteers. We, um, you know, everyone needs a good job and uh, being a pilot can be a great job. Um, but uh, if you're, um, if the terms of your employment uh, mean that you're never home with your family or you're unable to pursue other things that make uh, for a quality uh, life, a balanced life, a healthy life, uh, um, those things aren't, um, you know, useful. Uh, and, and also the safety thing fundamentally is, um, is twofold. Um, you know, we want to make sure that people retire, uh, you know, healthy, healthy people. So that means the, you know, making sure that they have a, a safe and healthy workplace throughout their career. And, and also um, that they, uh, that, that their career didn't take such a toll on them that the, that their later years are, um, you know, are are not um, fruitful and full of vitality. So we think of all of this uh, as our role in the here and now, um, and and it does come down to those two foundational concepts. I know in many different, uh, I'll say, sort of pressure cooker environments when it comes to industries, they are very much a lifestyle. As you sort of note, your schedule as a pilot really dictates everything, um, how much time you spend at work, how much time you spend on your own time with your loved ones or doing whatever else you would like to do. So 
it is just a, an ongoing challenge, really, I guess, of making sure that people have that quality of life. It's not just that you're an operator of an aircraft. It is everything that comes with it, um, including sort of, I guess, the ability to have that downtime. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we want, uh, you know, downtime and time for a work uh, away from work is, is an important part of your job. And so, you know, we advocate for that. And and safe and healthy are both important concepts. I mean, you want to make sure that you go home at the at the end of every flight. I mean, it uh, it um, it sounds obvious, but you know, when safety doesn't happen by uh, happenstance, it happens to by very very deliberate actions by everybody involved. And so, you know, making sure that when you are at work, it's safe and that your lifestyle is healthy are the are those sort of uh, two two pillars that we'd like to build upon. Noting sort of time away from work, where I guess I'm starting to think along the lines of fatigue, and I know that the rules related to fatigue have changed at the 703 level um, recently. What has Alpa Canada's response been to I guess helping uh, different aviation companies move towards these new duty regs at the 703 level? Yeah, so when it comes to anything safety related, and we have to always think of the fatigue regulations as safety regulations, uh, they are just that. Um, you know, a, a rested pilot is a, is a safe pilot. Mm -hmm. And so um, we worked with Transport Canada and uh, different um, you know, professional associations uh, and to work on developing the fatigue regulations, which first came into force for uh, 705 a couple of years ago in December. And as you pointed out, um, most recently for 703 operators. And as a uh, because safety is a, is, a, is a team sport, I like to say, um, we, uh, you know, implementing them and, and making sure that they're implemented in a, in a cooperative way that are understood by everybody that, that has the most positive impact and the least negative impact um, is, is everybody's job. I mean, it, our job didn't stop when, when the rule came into a force. In fact, um, that, was, that was part of our job was, was advocating for an advancement in safety regulations and fatigue regs. But um, now our job is pivoted to implementing them and, and interpreting them in a way that is um, constructive, but, uh, but and safe, constructive and safe. Now, at the time of recording, you have just begun your third term as president of Alpha Canada. What are you hoping to accomplish or what is your biggest goal for your next term? Hmm. Um, well, in, in the world of um, unions, uh, one of the core concepts that I, that I believe in is that uh, your strength is your unity. Um, and so and divisions among uh, workers or labor groups don't really serve us. That's a way for us not to be on the same page or thinking the same way uh, or approaching things strategically. Uh, so unity uh, and, and bringing all the pilots together is, is, my, um, is my core, uh, I think, goal. And it was, it was my core goal in my first, second, and, and my current term. I mean, I think a lot of those, the, the work that we do sort of builds off of that. And of course, there's other aspects of the job. Um, but I want to see all professional pilots, uh, you know, working together to advance 
um, you know, collective agreements, and we talked about those, and aviation safety, and we've talked about that. I think both of those things are best advanced uh, when we're working together. So um, we represent uh, 16 pilots, pilots at 16 airlines now. Um, I'd say that's the, by far the majority of professional pilots um, in sort of the airline sector and, and, and also in the 704 sector, and in some cases, 703. Uh, I'd like to continue to uh, expand that so that we can draw upon all of the professional knowledge that our pilots contribute to our organization and in turn assist them the best we can. So uh, I'd love to see the Air Canada pilots part of our union. I'd love to see uh, the, the pilots at, um, at, at basically any and all professional outfits, uh, you know, come, come and be with us. The, what we do, I think we, we believe strongly in that it, um, you know, it, it makes not just the lives of pilots better, but it makes uh, the aviation industry stronger. Um, and uh, so I think building upon that belief of unity uh, being our core strength is, is and remains my primary goal, although a lot of the things flow from that. Now, over the course of your two terms as president of Alpha Canada, what have been the most challenging and rewarding aspects of taking on this role? Um, so the not, not long after I took office, um, we uh, my second term was basically defined by the COVID pandemic. Um, that was certainly one of the most challenging periods of any pilot's career, um, but also uh, my professional union career. Uh, it was also, you know, perhaps the, the largest challenge that, you know, um, you know, millions of Canadians faced in their own unique way. Um, so I, I don't want to, you know, overstate how it affected uh, me or pilots, but um, the industry was perhaps impacted more than any other. And it made for an incredibly challenging couple of years. Um, we also uh, dealt with, um, you know, not long into my um, tenure as Alpha Canada to horrific 737 MAX accidents. Um, and while they happened at other places in the world, it um, brought about a regulatory review of airplanes that our members fly. And um, that was, you know, incredibly challenging and rewarding work to see that airplane brought back to certification with um, Alpha participation and uh, subject matter expertise, including uh, for the first time ever, um, line pilots as part of the certification process. Um, the, historically, that has not been the case, and and we we think that um, you know line pilots bring a valuable perspective to uh, the the certification process. And um, pardon me, the uh, um, that was uh, both incredibly challenging and rewarding to see. Um, some positive results from, uh, you know, a horribly negative, you know, period of our um, mm -hmm. industry's history. Recently, Alpha Canada hosted a forum on women pilots, diversity, equity, and inclusion on the flight deck and beyond. Why is it important for Alpha Canada to have events like this? And how do you hope they impact Alpha as a whole? Um, well, there's a long list of reasons why that's important, uh, you know, but just fundamentally, uh, it has, it's a reflection of our values. Um, 
and so and we want also to uh, we realize that our industry is has historically not been um, diverse uh, or one that promotes equality uh, or inclusion. And I think we have to say that out loud. We have to acknowledge that. I don't think it does us any favors uh, not to acknowledge that. Um, so we have uh, members who have a different experience with our industry than other other members. And, and uh, I mean, Alpha members and members of our society and our industry. Um, and uh, I mean, but you could pick up from a long list of additional reasons why it's just so important. Um, we are, as we talked about earlier in the interview, um, you know, our industry needs pilots. We need people to contribute to this industry that we love. Um, and what better way than to, um, you know, welcome members from across society. And so the symposium that we held, the, the, um, the conference that we held, uh, was uh, designed to put ideas together, um, you know, tell our stories of our lived experiences, um, and to uh, invite, uh, you know, constructive thoughts uh, that can can be built off of, and um, and so that we can so that we can grow our industry, so that we can contribute to it in the most meaningful and productive way possible and and I think being exclusive um, is just completely antithetical to to those core values so and being inclusive is uh, in line with them um, so I think whether you're talking about it you know conceptually or really what uh, the nuts and bolts of how to how to do it better um, you know that's why that day was important and that's why we have to build upon it I know I had the opportunity to attend the symposium and it was during the day that uh, Captain Noreen Newton at Jazz, uh, she presented her finding and research related to psychological safety in the flight deck and how when people feel valued and safe that they're able to do their best work, which really, even though we're looking at it from a very, I would say contemporary lens, it does go back to the original values of wanting to promote safety in all aspects of aviation. Yeah, uh, I really appreciated that. Um as well and um and i think that um th those findings and that presentation you know it it rings true for all of us um but it's uh, it's not just enough to acknowledge that it rings true it, it it's um we have to we have to understand it in a way that we can uh, create meaningful change and and that's uh and mm -hmm. And we brought together a bunch of people who can, um, who, who can and are doing that, um, and and it's exciting and and I'm it, made, it makes me hopeful for the future. Looking ahead to the future of aviation in Canada, what do you suspect will be the next big hurdle? The next big hurdle, I, you know, I'm not I'm not one to sort of predict or attempt to predict, you know. Um, problems that we'll encounter. Um, but I do think, um, and I'm going to answer your question in a sort of a roundabout way. Um, it makes me think of uh, the way that we approach safety. I know that's sort of been a theme throughout our conversation, 
but um you know we can actually um, gather safety data and share it and, and and analyze it together by all of those who have a stake in in, in safe skies and a safe industry and a safe future and uh, and use that to um, to accurately predict where um, where we're on thinner ice than we may think we are or assume we are. Um, you know, we have uh, our technology and our analytical skills and, and data collection skills. Um, you know, we live in an era of data collection. Um, you know, we look at these big tech companies that um, deal in data and and trade and, and make money off of, of personal data. And I don't mean to talk about that, but um, there's a lot of concepts that we can really put to use for the advancement of aviation safety. And so um, while I can't predict, you know, what struggles we'll encounter, I can advocate for approaching safety uh, in new ways uh, and, and relying upon the best parts of technology to analyze data in, in, in ways that uh, can protect us, can pr protect our future and protect the industry, make it more robust, make it certainly more safe. And um, I, th I think that that's where we would like to focus our efforts. Um, and then of course, you know, support our, support the industry in a way that, so when um, the unexpected does happen and it always does in aviation, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, that everybody is in as best, as good a, po a, a position as possible to face those things. Um, but I, I really want to take the question and think about how, you know, what we can do in the meantime. Um, so no matter what is sort of coming down the road that we can understand it and prepare for it best. No, oftentimes I hear people when asked questions about the future of aviation in Canada, they seem to really focus on maybe one of our more immediate um, potential conflict, not conflicts, uh, potential upsets that we can see of the sort of looming pilot shortage. It was talked about for a long time that it wasn't. And we sort of seem to be moving back towards this period in aviation where we just don't have the infrastructure to train new pilots. So it's refreshing to hear a different uh, a different take on that. And good to know that Alpha Canada is, maintaining to, uh, is committed to maintaining everything that they're doing throughout uh, whatever the next hurdle may be. Yeah, I mean, there's you know, the pilot supply issue um, does have, uh, you know, uh, far reaching implications for our industry. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, um, there's it's been well commented on, um, and it's it's certainly our job to understand that, uh, and and plan for the future. You know, so we have two jobs: we have to mitigate what's happening today, uh, but we have to do a good job of uh, making sure this industry is here for us, uh, us not just as employees, but us as Canadians or citizens of the world uh, tomorrow. And I, I I agree with that, but. Um, and and but I, I do think that the, the the safety lens is where I like to look at uh, look at things when possible. Now, who's someone in aviation you admire and why? Uh, well, I, I admire um, I admire you know a lot of individual pilots who have taught me good lessons. You know, lessons about airmanship and uh, and that list that list is too long to mention. Um, and uh, I admire um, 
a lot of the pioneers who had to learn things the hard way. Um, and so that um, we didn't have to. I think I'll decline to a uh, answer a particular pilot, um, but I, you know, the, the list is long and, and uh, I, I admire anybody who's um, willing to impart the, the experience and the airmanship that they've learned over the years. I would say we, we've asked this question to all of our guests, and I think it is uh, hands down the least favorite question that people get asked because it is so tricky to just find one person in aviation that has inspired you or made a difference to you. It is an industry that is so made up of individuals that all come together to sort of push that further goal and want to see you succeed. It's, it's really lovely that way. So it, it is, um, I'm not going to <laughs> read into you declining to answer because I know the list is too long as opposed to there is no one. Yeah, I know there certainly are many, many people uh, who have who have influenced me. In fact, um, I'll, I will tell you about somebody who just it, partly it's hard to answer, uh, you know. And so, but you know, someone does pop to mind. Uh, his name is Michael Gillespie. He uh, owned Flying Colors Pilot Training in Winnipeg, and that's uh, a a small operation of Katana aircraft that no longer exists. Um, Michael had health issues and, and sold the business, but he um, he was an inspiring person. He uh, he recognized uh, that you know I was interested in aviation, and um, he just he let me um, he just sort of held the door open and, and, and allowed me to walk through into his world and 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 see aviation from his perspective. We did some flying together. We talked about flying a lot. Um, he uh, showed me the, the, the how how his um, business worked, uh, and I also just met a lot of people through him. So I, I, admi I admire him because he was a, a true professional himself, uh, but also uh, somebody who who uh, was willing to take me along for the ride. Now, what advice did you have for someone considering a career as a pilot? It's a tough tough question as well, but I think fundamentally. Um, you know, just keep following. Uh, aviation has so many facets that you, you can be involved in aviation in so many different ways. Um, and uh, so, you know, follow your heart, keep asking questions um, and, and keep, keep finding, because you'll keep finding people who are, who are, who you'll learn from uh, and you'll, and you'll find your own place in the, in this special industry, which we love. And so, um, you know, be yourself, uh, follow your heart. Um, and this sounds like really cliche advice. Uh, it, there's, it's, you know, it can be expensive. It can be, uh, discouraging. Um, uh, so, you know, just recognize that, um, not all roads are, are straight. Not all roads are, um, you know, uh, smooth or uphill or, or, you know, um, they're windy, they're, they're rocky, but, you know, follow your heart ask questions. That's it. I know very few pilots for whom aviation has gone exactly to plan at every opportunity. So no, I, I definitely agree with sort of keeping a, an open mind and being open to new experiences because that is a very windy path that we all lead through aviation. It is very rarely as straightforward as you'd like to think it would be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, would you please share a favorite memory or highlight from any point in your aviation experiences? Um, so... 
we uh, we talked a little bit earlier about the, the three day pairing I got to do with Captain Jim Wood at Air Canada, flying out in Western Canada and in the Western U.S. That was a that was a major highlight. But the first time I was in a flight deck um, was with my family flying back from England, and the the Air Canada seven six seven was um, landing it was was a flight between London and Halifax, and then onto Ottawa and Winnipeg, uh, where we lived, and uh, that was the first time that the, the I was invited into a flight deck, and I was invited in and sat through the entire landing, uh, approach and landing, and I didn't know that was coming. I didn't expect it, and uh, and it just uh, it really it really opened my eyes. Um, uh, another favorite memory: I was living in Rankin Inlet. Uh, I was uh, ten years old, and um we uh after school i would go hang out at the airport and just sort of hang off the the fence and look at airplanes come and go and there was a cessna 402 that used to park there and uh one day the pilot came over uh and asked me you know if i liked airplanes and i told him oh yeah i mean i love airplanes and and so he in, invited me and in, and kind of strapped me in the front seat and um and uh, so I guess that was after school around 3.30 and I got home at around six o'clock. My parents had no idea where I was. I, it felt like I had spent 10 minutes, um, you know, talking with him. And it, and it turns out he'd spent two hours talking to, uh, you know, talking to me about, um, you know, what his job was in airplanes and, and it just flew by. And, and I, I'm forever grateful to, to Travis Crow, who, uh, who was the pilot that day. Say it's one thing that we all have these moments as pilots where we'll interact with someone who's not in aviation, whether it's another adult or even oftentimes kids. And these moments might just be brief to us. They might just be a nice thing to do, but they can really impact the trajectory of someone's lives and get them into aviation. So I have to remind myself and even other people at times that you are inherently an ambassador for all things aviation as a pilot or just person that works in the industry by showing up and being around other people and what might seem insignificant to you or just like a nice thing to do chatting with a kid can really make all the difference to someone mm -hmm. yeah yeah now before we wrap up today where can our listeners find you on social media Oh, um, so I, uh, Alpha Canada is on Facebook and Instagram, uh, and LinkedIn. Um, I'm there personally as well, Tim Perry or Tim F. Perry, and, uh, would love to see you guys online. We will be sure to have all those links in the episode description for our listeners. Tim Perry, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Uh, it was a pleasure. Uh, thanks for your time. The Holding Short Podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searle. If you would like to learn more about the show, The Holding Short Podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us.